everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. So, Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, um, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of of the waters, and I'm going to stop right there, because what we need to understand in the very beginning, there are prophetic clues that let you know that something happened before God's spirit moved upon the face of the deep. Now, if He moved upon the earth, earth is land, earth is dry ground. So why are the scriptures telling us that the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters? This lets us know that when God created the earth in Genesis chapter one, it was a recreation. There was already an earth here. Many of you have read your, history, your science books and you find out about the dinosaurs and the fossils. And those things scientifically let you know they're carbon dated. And it lets you know the earth is actually really, really, really old. So there was something, and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of that tonight because you know, it will take me all over through the scriptures. But what happened is that there was actually an inhabitation of earth before Genesis 1. Genesis 1 began our age, our dispensation. But prior to that, there was already inhabitants. We don't know what they look like. We don't know what they sounded like, but there was already a habitation because this is why when Satan was cast down, the Bible says in Revelation, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth. So that lets you know there was already a population of people on the earth prior to Genesis 1. Now, I can give you some scriptures on that. Turn with me to, uh, let's see, uh, Jeremiah. Uh, let's see, I try to note everything. Jeremiah, I think, 26. All right, let's look at, uh, what did I say? Jeremiah 4, 23 through 26. Let's look at that really quick. And I promise you I had it. I think I lost a paper somewhere. Jeremiah 4, and listen to what the prophet said. 4.23 through 26. He says, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. So this is another age he's talking about, because by the time Jeremiah came on the scene, there surely was light. Okay? So he's talking about another age. He says, I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. So Jeremiah began to speak under inspiration of the Holy Spirit about things that he could not have known of. He says, I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. And I lost my place again. And so what Jeremiah is talking about, Jeremiah is talking about a wrath, a punishment, a visitation from the Lord that took place prior to Genesis chapter 1. There was a flood that took place where God destroyed. Let me give you, let's go to Isaiah. There is Noah's flood, and this is why the Lord said to Noah, he said, I will never again destroy the earth by flood. This time I do it by fire. 
And for in the very beginning, you find that when the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, it was because it was still in the same state as when Lucifer came down. This is why the serpent was able to be used by the evil spirit. Look at Isaiah. Oh, where is it? And you thought it was just Genesis 1. Look at Isaiah 45:18. I'm trying to hold my place because I've got so many bookmarks here. Isaiah 45:18. Uh, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens God himself that formed the earth and made it he established it he created it not in vain he formed it to be inhabited so why was it when the Lord came upon the earth it was void what happened to the inhabitants before Adam there was another race we don't, the Bible doesn't talk about it we don't have a lot of information but some of the prophets were able to clue into it and they discovered like Moses said in, Isaiah, in uh, Genesis the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep that the Spirit of God only had water to work with. There was a flood. There was so much water over the earth that God, coming down to uh, verse 6, God had to call a heaven into place to separate the waters from the earth. He had to call space, as we know it, what we, the air that we breathe. God had to call that into being. All right? Look down to, let me move on down because I'm not going to read all of this. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and morning were the second day. I want to take you back to, let's look at 2 Peter 3, 5 through 8. I want to give you some more history on what began to take place. And then I'm going to take you to Ezekiel. Yes. <laughs> All right, 2 Peter, what did I say? Thank you. Let's see where we are. All right, 2 Peter 3, 5 and 8 says this. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old. Alright? And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Second Peter 3 and 5, 6. Whereby the world that then was. That's an aha moment. That's how mighty our God is. The world, Peter says, that then was being overflowed with water. And he's not talking about Noah's time. He said, it perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. And God indeed told Moses, uh, Noah, he said, I won't do this again by water. I won't do this. This time, see, and this is what I was telling my children. We were having sort of a mini Bible study on the way coming this morning. Is that when you have a flood, like I have a basement and I have a creek in my backyard. When the basement floods out, you can kind of extract the water, do your mold treatment, and you can start over. You can start over when there's a flood. You cannot start over when there's a fire. And so this is why God was able to recreate from the first flood, recreate from the second flood. God said, this time I'm going to do it by fire. By the time God visits the earth, this time by fire, there's no going back. That's why he said, behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. And he said, the former things have passed away. God's making all things new. And this is the new earth that we, the children of God, are going to have. And you don't have to worry about a mortgage. You don't have to worry about new energy. Piedmont, natural. God's got it. The things and mistakes that man has made in the past, God said, they will, they will, he said, I will wipe tears away. This new heaven, will not, you will not have sorrow. He said, there will be no sorrow in my holy mountains. Awesome. Awesome time it's going to be in the Lord. He said, that won't even be in Revelation. He said, that won't even be a, a, a need for the sun. He said, I will be the Lord. So when you, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, and again, I don't want to spend, I don't spend 10 minutes right here. But when you, when you look at the very beginning. Understand that he's not talking about the beginning of time. He's only been talking about the beginning of this present age that we're in. 
Okay? And so when you look at all these prophetic clues that we find here, verse 2, God moved upon the face of the waters. There was no dry ground. God had to call that ground out of existence. Now, uh, let me tell you about what happened with Lucifer. That's in Isaiah. Uh, King of Tower, where is it? Got a song in my spirit. <laughs> Coming down the road, listening on the radio. My inner man is singing it. Let me see. Uh, King of Tower. Where is that in Isaiah? How art thou following? Look at Isaiah chapter 14. Well, this is actually Lucifer. Isaiah 14 and 12. And then we we'll go to Ezekiel. I think I got it. I lost all my bookmarks, y'all. All right. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. How art thou following? From heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how are you cut down? And you've got to listen to this, okay? Because this didn't happen in, our, in this age. Noah didn't see Lucifer fall from heaven. Abraham didn't see it. Somebody saw this. But it didn't happen in our time. But somebody was able to witness this. How are you falling from heaven? Isaiah the prophet speaks under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how are you cut to the ground which did weaken the nations? There were nations here on the earth. When the war took place in heaven, the Bible says in Revelation, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for Satan has come, the dragon has come down, having great wrath. And he knew that his time was short because God destroyed the earth. Listen, here it goes on to say, I've, he said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Listen to 16. And they that see you shall narrowly look upon you and say, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms that made the world a what? Wilderness. He's not talking about our time because our world is not a wilderness. Okay? He said, made the, And destroyed the cities that opened out the house of the prisoners. And then he goes on and said that you've been cast down into the grave and, and so forth. Now, there were some mighty things that took place on this earth before the Lord created it in Genesis. And that's what we need to understand. When you see fossils and you go to the museums and see these dinosaurs, they were actually here. Nobody made those things. They were actually here. And in my own prophetic, creative imagination, I believe that those dinosaurs and things were demons incarnate. I believe when you, because when you see demons, how do they look like to you? Animals. Okay? Don't they look like animals? When you see them in dreams, they look like animals. When, 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 ser when the serpent came, when the evil spirit came and God even came as an animal. And so you've got to understand, what was it that caused the Lord to freeze the whole earth over? What was it that caused God to so much water that they find fossils of thousands of years? The fossils were buried underwater. So this is a powerful thing. And I know y'all ain't never thought about this in Genesis ever before. And you'll never look at it again. And so verse 3, back to Genesis now, okay? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, from a prophetic point of view, this is what we do. When the prophet comes into a situation and we're looking at it, it's dark, it's without form, it's void, it's our job to say, let there be light. It's our job to look at that situation, no matter how bad it is, no matter how jacked up it is, and still see somewhere that God can make an imprint and change some things. It's our job to say, let there be light. Not, oh man, your situation sure is messed up. Good God Almighty. It's our job to speak light. Okay? To see light. And when God saw the light, it was good, and then God began to divide the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Let's move on down. Go on to verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together. Here is where the seven continents were formed. Listen, seven continents and five oceans. 
Y'all know God loves those numbers. Seven and five, completion and grace. So the Lord, in verse 9, the seven continents were formed, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And so God said, let the earth bring forth grass, and we see all of these things now coming into manifestation. And that's for how God works. When our lives begin to come into order, then you see the fruit to start bearing in your life. You wonder why? Well, I don't see no grass in my life. You know, your life is like somebody, they don't have no, no, they just got dirt in the yard. No, you don't visit somebody else who's had dirt. I got the trees. You can see the roots from the trees sitting on top of the ground. The roots are supposed to be up under the ground, but because the ground is so dry and barren and cracked up, the roots are sitting up on top of the ground. And so some of our lives are like that. But when, you know, the, when the Lord speaks, when he brings order, okay, when he brings us out of the waters, because waters also represent trouble, when he brings us out of the waters, then God can plant some things and we can see fruit bearing in our life, fruit after its kind. So that's why we have to be careful about the seed that we're sowing, because the seed we sow, that's what's coming up out of the ground of our life, Okay. And so God saw that these things were good. Looking at verse 14, God began to ordain seasons. He began to ordain times. And he ordained years. Um, And I'm going to go through, let's see. Verse 26, still Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our image. That's the clue right there. It wasn't just the Lord by himself. It was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father was the, the, the main, the CEO behind it. Okay? Holy Spirit is the one that's carrying out this thing, and the word is what's being manifested. And so they were all working together. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So that was one of the first blessings that God gave us. Hey, come together, and and I'm going to give you dominion. And so he began to create man in his image, and he blessed him. All right. Um, Let's move to chapter 2. Now, chapter 2 talks about the, the rest of God, where God finished the work that he was doing. In the earth, and the Bible says that on the seventh day God ended his work which he made and he rested. And so God blessed and he sanctified because it looked like he said, you know what? The devil didn't destroy all this. I was I'm able to come back and recreate. And that's another thing that we need to hold true in our life is that no matter how destructive situations may appear, that when God gets done with it, he sits back and says, it's good. It may not look real good right now, but when God gets a hold to it, he'll step back. When he finishes with us and he rests from the situation, then he'll sit back and say, you know what? This is a good thing. So he goes on and now he talks about the plants in the earth. Verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Uh, When God gave us this breath of life, he gave us emotions, he gave us a will, he gave us thoughts. Um, You know, we're able to communicate with one another, we're able to feel, we're able to experience. God gave those things to us. Um, What I like here in verse 8 is that God planted the garden, and there he put the man whom he formed. For every one of us, there is a place where God expects us to be prosperous. There is a place where God expects us to be healed. There is a place where God expects us to be whole, and it's our Eden. Now, it's our job to find out where that Eden is. And I don't mean Eden as a physical place, like you got to move to Eden, Texas. When I'm talking about where your spiritual Eden is. The place in your relationship in God where you can be uh, fruitful, you can be, you can multiply, you can bear forth fruit. It's our job to do that, and it's available to us. The Bible says the Lord planted the garden. In other words, God has a spiritual place for each of us. He, we all have our own lane. We all have our own space. And when we find that space, that's where we grow best. Okay? So the Lord God planted this garden. Eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. Whatever God called you to do in that place of Eden in your life are all the resources and things that you need. Everything you need is right there. 
out of the ground the Lord God called to grow every tree that is pleasant. When Adam, when he found that place, and we're in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. When Adam found that place, everything he needed, God made it possible. It wasn't anything Adam had to do. Adam just had to be obedient, like we talked about the son this morning. Adam just had to be obedient and just be where God put him. Our problem is, and I heard somebody say the grass is green on the other side, but if you water your grass, it'll be green too. You know, our thing is like Lot. Well, they prospered over there. Let me go over here. But is that your eating? You got to find out where your eating is. And in that place, uh, in your in your eating is where your trees are going to grow for. And when you're sprouting trees, you're sprouting something for the next generation. Plants and things of that nature, that's what you live off. But trees, that's something that generations after you can, 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 can live off of. And so God, the Bible says, all of those things were good for food, the tree uh, of life, uh, and also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and water. Now, let's look at 10. Y'all know I like this one. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. Remember what I said. When you are in your place, your resources are there, your provisions are there, and your favor is there, your great, everything you need is right there in that place, in that spiritual place. And so a river went out of Eden, okay, in that place, in your, God bless you, in Genesis chapter 2, 10. In your Eden, in your place. Your place, your garden, that's where your resources are. That's where your, your talents are going to be um, birthed and multiplied and cultivated. And in that, that's where you're going to find your resources. The Bible says a river went, up, went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and turned into four hills. And y'all, true love, y'all know what I say about the four rivers. Okay? Look at these four rivers. It was gold. It was honest. All of these resources and treasures were located right there in Adam's garden. And so there are resources and there are treasures in your garden. I preached the message years ago. Tend your own garden. Get out of my tomato patch. <laughs> Tend your own garden. Find your own fertilizer. Find your own uh, scarecrow. You know, learn how to work what God gave you. Work it to the best of your ability and God will bless it. He'll have rivers poured into you. He will cause streams of income, streams of resources will be made available to you because you're in your stuff. Okay, can't nobody move you from that. God gave that to you. And so he goes on and gives you the four names of the river. Now let's move on. Verse 15, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to what? Maintain it. Here's what we do as lazy Christians. Jesus fix it. Come on, Jesus. Work it out, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. He said, it is finished. Okay, I gave you a garden. I put you in it. And I gave you rivers. Now take your shovel and your pitchfork, and go to work. Okay? And, and so we have to be, and I, and I always say this about the, the apostles, they were people of industry. God is partnering with people who doesn't mind working. He put Adam in the garden, and he, and, and put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. So whatever your eating is, God holds you responsible. You are responsible for whatever God is assigning you or has put you. That's you. That's you. That's you. Okay? And he's going to come back and check to make sure that you grow some little tomato bulbs, some little asparagus. Come on, some lettuce, some cucumbers. He want to see. And all, in all the four Gospels, the Lord is referred to as a husbandman, a farmer. You know how I farm. I grew up on a farm. You plant and you come back and you tend pool weeds. That's something we have to learn how to de-weed our stuff. Okay, get out of my garden. Get the foxes out of there, the wolves, get all that stuff out of your garden. 
All right. So uh, moving now, and the Lord God commanded the man of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Now it didn't mean that Adam was going to die a natural physical death. He died spiritually. And this is what happened when sin, when lust was when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. When sin is finished, it brings forth death. And so it was a spiritual death that God was born. He said, look, you got all of this stuff I'm making available to you. You got everything you need. Just don't touch this. How complicated was that? You got access to every tree except one, and that's the one y'all go after. And I believe it was more a test of obedience than anything else, because if it was that serious, I don't think God would have put it there. So sometimes the Lord will say, you know, I'm going to make this thing available to you, but don't go this far. Don't go there. And we'll, we'll just step across the water every time and then wonder, you know, why things is cutting up in our life. So, you know, understand that in everything, there's boundaries. In everything God gives us, there are boundaries. There's places you cannot cross, things you cannot do. No matter how anointed and gifted and called and loved upon by the Lord you are, you know, to everything there are boundaries. And when we cross those boundaries, there are consequences. Sometimes there's no going back. So in verse 19 and 20, you know, the animals are formed. And in verse 5, the woman is formed, verse, excuse me, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God took from the man made him a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, a lot of you that have heard me preach this, it, I, I feel that it is kind of warm here too. I feel that it's talking about marriage. That a lot of times we're ready to marry somebody, but they ain't dead. You know? Adam, God required, because first of all, Adam had a lot he had to give up. <laughs> he had a lot he had to give up. And so the Lord is saying, you know, I, you know, I need you to, 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 to fall asleep. Let me pull stuff out of you that can probably be a problem for you. You know, and, and, and let me, while you're resting in me, while you're trusting in me, let me build this woman for you. And I say to the women, God didn't make us. He formed us. That's why we love fashion. But one of the trainers said he fashioned us. So, you know, we didn't, God didn't say, so God, he, he formed us and he fashioned us. God took a lot of time in making he, when he made us. So hallelujah. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. So God's awesome God. And so, so he did this thing. And, 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 and let me tell you, even in situations in our life, sometimes we have to go into a deep sleep. So that God can pull things out of us. I mean, it, 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 yes, I, it can talk about marriage, but it can also talk about vision. It can also talk about gifts and things that God has cultivated in your life. And God said, you know what, before I allow this thing to happen for you, let me kill you first. Ah, yeah, I felt that one too. Let me kill you. Because if I give you this million dollars, I already know how you're going to act. You ain't, you ain't going to be right. <laughs> you ain't going to act right at all. I gave you a hundred and you backslide. What are you going to do for a million? You ain't, uh-uh, you ain't right. Let me kill you. And so that's why every time, every time you're going to look at you're spending a dime. God said, I'm going to break that thing. I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it. So he'll kill you. He will get in the area. Hey, praise God. That, that thing that you're going to die. Yes, you are. When we give birth, that's just part to death. That we can be. Your birth, your birth and, and your wide open, you know, the blood is going because it's going to cost you something. And so, you know, we need to understand it. Not just Adam to die for Eve, but some of us have to die for the things that we believe in God for. Are we willing to pay that price? Okay. So moving on down. So, you know, Adam says, and, and, and Adam gave the first prophetic word in verse 23. He said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother. How are you going to tell me a man leave his father and mother and y'all don't have parents? That was by prophetic revelation. Adam didn't have natural parents. Neither did Eve. 
But he said him in 2.24, therefore shall a man, Adam begin to speak into the institution of marriage prophetically. Isn't that powerful? So moving on down, verse 25, and they were both naked and the man and his wife and they were not ashamed. And y'all know what that talks about. We can move past that. All right. Genesis chapter 3, because remember I wanted to try to get to chapter, at least to chapter 6 tonight. Is this, anybody learning anything new so far? Great. All right. In Genesis chapter 3, here's the testing. Genesis chapter 1 had the, call your questions to the end. Genesis chapter 1 had the recreation. Those of you that missed the first part, you missed the first part. Um, there was a recreation, okay? Because we determined, according to the word of God, that the earth has been here before Adam. All right? So here, Genesis chapter 1 is the recreation. Genesis chapter 2 is the restoration. Genesis chapter 3 is testing. But you know it's coming. Okay? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now, what, just to clue some of you in that just came in, what we talked about is that prior to uh, um, the animals being formed, there was already an evil spirit, in the, evil spirits, I would say, in the earth that were left over from the fall of Lucifer. Because you can't kill a spirit. God has to destroy it. And that's why you find in, in, in Revelation that those, there's a special, he didn't say hell, there's a lake of fire. <laughs> it's a different kind of fire that he uses for evil spirits. So there was, even after Lucifer was cast down, there was still an atmosphere of evil upon the face of the earth. All right? And so this animal somehow tapped into that. And the Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. The woman represents the weaker vessel. And I think Apostle mentioned, uh, mentioned this a week or two ago, that when you get weak, that's why the Bible said the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Because when we get weak, that's when we're vulnerable. That's when we start entertaining all kind of weird stuff. And so here, yes, naturally it's talking about the woman, but spiritually, the weak vessel. These are the ones that the serpent comes to and starts to beguile them and seduce them and sabotage their destiny. And he says... Yea, has God said, and the first thing the devil wanted to do was challenge what God said. Yes, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said, listen, and she added to the word of God. She said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't say don't touch it, he said don't eat it. So there was a misunderstanding of the word of God, and the enemy, he entered in right there. And the servant said, oh, you're not going to really die. For God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good from evil. And that's the first instance of idolatry, wanting to be something that we're not. And Eve partook of this in the absence of her covering, in the absence of her husband, in the absence of an accountability party. That's why it's dangerous when you're feeling some kind of way to be left alone. Because the enemy can take advantage of your weakness. And so, moving down to verse 6, the woman saw, and she partook of the thing, and, and we know the story. The eyes of her and her husband were open, and they began to find out things that, they, that were illegal. There are things in the spirit realm at that particular time that were illegal for them to find out about it, but they tapped into it because now their eyes were open. But it wasn't a godly opening of the eyes. It was a demonic opening of the eyes. It's almost like now that you feel some kind of way, oh, she didn't speak to me today. You, now, when you was praising God, you didn't see that. But now that you, 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 you have been eating from the wrong tree... Your eyes are open to stuff that they should have been shut to. Is that making sense to anybody? Now you're watching everything. Oh, did you see the way you, what you doing watching it? Why are your eyes open to that? Your eyes are supposed to be open to the move of God, to the will of God, to the heartbeat of God. Now you're watching what this one does. Did you see her shoes and her skirt was too tight? <laughs> Trouble. Because the enemy opened your eyes. 
Salah. <laughs> All right. So moving on down, we find the effects of sin. Um, and, and they heard the voice of the Lord, verse 8. We're in Genesis 3, verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid. That's what happens when you know you done messed up. And here comes the prophet and the apostle. You, you don't show up. <laughs> you just don't. You don't. You duck and you dodge and you find your little closet or someplace to get into, and that's it. And so the Lord, He's looking for them because God is, He always longs for companionship and He wants to be around His people. And so He says, um, So the Lord is calling him, Adam, where are you? Why would God have to call you? The only reason God would have to call you is because you wanted from your spiritual place. It's not that He don't know where you are. You ain't playing hide and go seek and think you don't find a spot that you can hide from the Lord. Okay? Yeah, you know, you can forget that. It's not that he can't find you. It's just that he, you, you're supposed to be right here. Your assigned place to God is right here. And God shows up right here. He's looking for you to be here. And you're not. And so he's speaking to the place that you're supposed to be. Where are you? And this is what happened with Adam. And of course his sin, his shame, caused him to hide. And so we, we know the story. <clears throat> and God begins to pronounce curses. This is in Genesis 3.14. The first person that got cursed was the serpent. Because you did. Okay? And he cursed him, made him, um, took his legs off of him, made him crawl and so forth. So the serpent. I should put you on vibrate now. Okay. So, um, it was a uh, It was very obvious that the, the serpent was walking. All right, we can just infer that. If he told him, he said, every beast of belly shell you go and dust shell, you eat all the days of your life. So it's very obvious that prior to that, he was walking. Okay, I don't know if he's on two legs or four or six. We don't know. But he had legs, all right? And so God, he took those legs from him, put them on his belly. And he pr- pronounces here, listen, okay, first God speaks to the serpent. Then he speaks to the enemy. He says to the enemy, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And this God was literally prophesying. He said, you evil spirit that used the snake to beguile this woman from this point on, there's always going to be war between you and the woman. And how many of us are always fighting for our children, interceding for our children, interceding for the church, interceding you know, that, that's because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. He said there's going to be war between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Uh, it, it shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Then God begins to speak to the woman. And so look at the progression here. Look at who God deals with. First he do deal with the snake. Then he goes to the devil. Then he goes to the woman, and then Adam. So notice how that works, all right? So if you're going through something, God is hitting you first, you did it. <laughs> you did it. Yeah, you, you know, if you first in line, God is coming, and you're the first free tag. Good God Almighty. You're going to get the heaviest whipping. You know, you're in trouble, okay? So, um, I know, I know. I'm sorry, that was so, that was heavy, but... You know, it is what it is. And so Adam, uh, so God curses the woman. He said, you're going to multiply. You're going to have children in sorrow and, and, and your desire. You're going to have to serve your husband. He's going to rule over you. And then the curse of the man, he said, you're going to have to work, you know, hard. Whereas I, uh, I initially ordained this ground to respond to you and you see things will come up. Now you've got to work for it. You're going to have to pull out the weeds. You're going to have to deal with thorns. You're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to work hard in order to make it. This is a curse because of rebellion. And so um, we're going to move on past that, going into, uh, look at verse 22, Genesis 3:22. And the Lord said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now let's put forth his hand 
and um, take out the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden. And see, that's another effect of rebellion, rebellion and disobedience. You lose your place. You lose your place. And like I said, some people don't get it back. In some cases, God is merciful and he allowed you, he'll draw you back by spirit. But in some instances, God's like, no, you're not, you can't do this again. Okay? And so God drove them out um, from the Garden of Eden. He drove them, verse 24, he placed cherubims, he placed angels with cloudy swords to make sure you don't come back. Think God was mad? <laughs> okay, he's kind of upset. Now, let's look at chapter 4. In chapter 4, um, Adam and his wife began to have children. The first uh, child was Cain, second one was Abel. I talked about that a little bit. In the message, here comes a time where it's time to present offerings unto the Lord. Even way back then, before any kind of giving, it, I mean, any type of institution was established, God required us to give. And so here we find that God judges the giving. Now, here it came, gathering up this stuff, just whatever he wanted God to have. Here, God, I think you'll like this. <laughs> and he presented it to him. But Abel, Abel said, you know what, I want to give God something that's got some blood on it. And so you find way, all the way here in the very beginning, we learn how to give unto the Lord. And so Abel gave um, the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto this offering. But Cain, he had no respect, and Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. And you know how it is. When God bless one person, don't bless you, now you're mad. You're manifesting, you're seeing stuff, you're dreaming, there's all kind of weird things going on in your spirit. Then you just didn't give right. <laughs> you ought to be mad with you, okay? Go put them vegetables back and go find you a ram. And burn it. Okay? You know what I mean? Just my goodness. Stop being mad at the wine. Just worship. That's all. So here, this is what happens with Cain. So now the enemy enters in because now he's looking at his brother. Okay, you got the blessings of God, and, 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 and God didn't receive my offer, so I'm going to kill you. And so here we find now where when we begin to, to uh, uh, shift blame, instead of taking responsibility for our own stuff, we start to shift blame on other folks. Then, and, and that's how the spirit of murder enters in, the spirit of assassination, and we start to tear other people down. Now, you know, we don't kill people like, you know, he did, but spiritually, you do. You do. Who she thinks she is? Who he thinks he is? He's so-and-so, and they done gave him this title, and he got this car, and, and, and so we begin to act like Cain. Because God is blessing this person's life, and he wanted to bless your life too, but your heart wasn't right. And so we do, we pick up the spirit of Cain to, to assassinate and to run our brothers and our sisters down. So uh, the Lord finds out that Cain's blood, uh, Abel's blood is um, crying out from the ground. And the Lord God comes down and says, where's your brother? And he said, I don't know. He said, am I my brother's keeper? Now you're lying. You see how those spirits, first of all, you ain't right. Okay, your heart is not right. You don't even treat God right. You can't worship because you don't treat God right. All right? Now you're killing folk. Then you're lying. So, I mean, you see how one door opens up, like, gates of stuff. And so he told, he told, he said, am I, am I brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? I can hear your brother's blood crying out from the ground. And so now the Lord has to curse Cain. He said, you curse from the earth, which has opened up her mouth to receive your brother's, brother's blood. He said, um, you're going to be a vagabond, basically. Do you know it's a curse to be wandering and wandering and wandering, and you don't never have a place to say, this is home. This is my job. This is my... You know, it's a curse from God to have a vagabond spirit that you just keep wandering. You don't never find a place. That you just keep looking and looking and looking. Do you know how people, many people die never having found Eden? Never found that place where God called them to. Where God, they never found it. It's a curse. And so God began to curse this curse came and called him a fugitive. Fugitive is somebody running from the law. 
running from the law, and now you're a vagabond. And so Cain says unto the Lord in verse uh, chapter 4, 13, Cain says, my punishment is great. He said, God, this is so heavy, I can't even take it. And he said, you're releasing me out here. People are going to kill me when they find out what I've done. And so the Lord in his mercy, in verse 15, seals um, Cain and says, whoever kills you, I'll take vengeance on him sevenfold. And God puts a mark on him to protect him. Even that, that's something, even in your mess, God will still protect you from somebody else's body. You done shook somebody's world upside down and God's still protecting you. That's the mercy of God. And so Cain had to leave out of the presence of the Lord. And he began to dwell in another land. And he and his wife began to have children and they began to build this city. All right, now let's look on down into the generations of Adam. And, and I'm not going to go into all these names. I'm really not. <laughs> so let me just go straight on into um, 4.25. And Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son called his name Seth. So there was uh, um, Cain, there was uh, Abel, and then there was Seth. All right, now she said, God has appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also was born a son. His name was Enos. And then from that point, the men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's look at chapter 5. What are we doing? Really good. We might go a little bit further than this. So then here's the book of the generations of Adam. I'm going to skip past that. And here it talks about the children of Adam, okay? Seth was 912 years. So you see how long people lived during this particular period of time. Long time. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine being married to somebody for 800 years? <laughs> like, Jesus. He's still here. <laughs> She's still here, Lord. That's a long time. I mean, Lord Jesus. I mean, I'm sure, it was a, I'm sure life wasn't like it is now. Or maybe not. I don't know. It just kind of bothers me. <laughs> it's just, that's a really long time. You ready to go home and say, Jesus? <laughs> I'm just tired. I can't say no more time. <laughs> That's a really long time. So at any rate, bless God for that generation. So, um, so Seth lived 912 years. Enoch lived 905 years. Canaan lived 910 years. Um, Mahalalel lived 895 years. Going to verse 18, Jared lived 962 years. Um, verse 21, Enoch lived 365 years. And then what I love about this, uh, you know, we talk about Enoch. Let's look at this, Genesis 5.21. Enoch lived 60 uh, five years and had Methuselah, okay? Enoch walked with God after he... Can you imagine having a child of 65 years? <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. Okay, I mean... Boy, mm. they were they was something. <laughs> so at 65 years, he had Methuselah, and 300 years... Excuse me, after he began with Methuselah for 300 years, he begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 365, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And the, the gist of this thing is, is that Enoch's life so pleased the Lord that Enoch went for a walk and the Lord said, I just love you. Come on home. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the Lord loving you that much? Just, just, just come on. Y'all like, wait, Enoch, oh, God took him. <laughs> That's something. That's something God loved. He was so, um, it just so, he, he just loved, delighted in Enoch's presence. The God was like, I really like you. And I, I just want to just come home with me. You know? It's like, I mean, I don't love forgive me. I don't mean to, to, to belittle it. But it's like you find something, little puppy. It's like, oh, you're so cute. Come on with me. You know, and so this thing with Enoch, Enoch's life was so pleasing in the sight of God. that God was like, I just want you to come home. You know? And so you think about some of, some of the saints. You know? I mean, we sorrow and we miss them. But there's some people God said, I just want you to come home. I mean, you know, when you really think, some folks, some the Lord said, you know what, I, I just... I want, to, I want you to be in my presence all the time. I don't want to just visit you in your dream or 
in church. I want to be with you all the time. And so um, this is what happened. They eat off walk with God, and one day he was trembling. And so here is the very first instance of the rapture taking place. God took him off the earth. The first rapture is found in Genesis 5, 24. God took him. So moving down to 25, <clears throat> Methuselah lived 969 years. He was the oldest living man because Adam lived 930. So Methuselah outlived uh, Adam. And uh, Lamech lived not, excuse me, 777 years. And look at those numbers, those perfect numbers. Lamech lived 777 years, and his son's name was Noah. All right? And so now we're about to go into the Noahic generation. Um, look at Genesis 5.28. Lamech lived 182 years. He had a son. He called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground that the Lord has cursed. And um, at 590, Noah had five, uh, in five years, he begat sons and daughters and moved on down. Let's look at verse 32 in chapter 5. Noah was 500 years old. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's look at chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply the face of the earth. And I mean, can you imagine? They multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. They lived for like a thousand years almost. So you had a long time to have kids. You're like, I have one in a hundred. Now wait, I get 250. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you could have a lot of children and, and, and still live a good, solid life. So you can imagine how, um, how populated the earth was during that particular time in those early days. And so here we find, again, in, chapter, in verse 2, we're in chapter 6, verse 2, we find that there was this interaction between the fallen angels and mankind. The first interaction was an evil spirit that seduced the serpent, that used the serpent to seduce Sarah. I mean, not Sarah, Eve. Now here we find in verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2, that the sons of God, these are fallen angels, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took them wives of all which they chose. In other words, these spirits inhabited men and demons begin to have children with these women. The Bible says that these children became like giants, chapter 4. Very big and strong because now you, you, you know, you, you pass just a regular man. You're dealing with somebody, an uh, ancient creature almost. And so there were giants in the earth in those days. After that, the sons of uh, God came into the daughters of men. They bear children. And these were mighty men, mighty strong men, men of renown. All right? Verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination, because by this time the enemy is now, um, he, he's influencing the minds of people. He's already got seed on the earth. And he's influencing, influencing the minds of the people like, you know, it never had been before. The Bible says that the imagination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil. Can you imagine every thought you have is wicked? Every thought. So you can imagine that the earth was just filled with violence. You can imagine it was filled with, with rape, molestation. I mean, just, just anything evil you can think of, this is what we're going through the minds of these people during this particular time. Verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and creeping things and fowls of the air, for it repented me that I made them. But Noah found grace. So God always has somebody. I don't care how many folk it may look like ain't doing right. God's got one somebody at least who will do it. And, and so Noah was this just man, righteous man. He walked with the Lord. And Noah had these three sons. So the judgment of God comes, okay, in chapter 6. The judgment of God comes. God tells Noah, you know what, I'm getting ready to destroy the earth. Um, make a boat. Now can you imagine they had never seen rain come from the sky before? 
And that's why the folk called Noah crazy because they ain't never had a boat. Noah didn't have Google. You know what I'm saying? How do you make a boat? I, I've never seen a boat before. And, and so he, he had to be in a place where he was hearing the Lord because in verse 14, God is telling him, you know, make the ark of this kind of wood and, and pitch it this way and fashion it that way. I mean, he had to really pay attention to how this thing was going to be constructed. If not, he could lose his life. And so there are even some instructions that God gives us that, you know, we line upon line, precept upon precept. There's a certain way that God wants it done, wants it done so that he can stamp his uh, stamp of approval over it. And so we find that. And so in verse 17, the Lord tells Noah, he said, I'm going to bring a flood of waters upon the earth. And apparently God was pretty good at doing that. Um, he said, I'm going to bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, all the breath of life from the heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with you, I will establish my covenant. And you'll come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and then he tells Noah to bring all the animals. Now we're looking at chapter 7. This is the judgment. And the Lord tells Noah, okay, now is the time to come into the ark. He said, um, you are the only righteous one I've seen in this generation. And people live in almost 100, 900 years. So that's a long time to greet the Lord. Okay. Um, and he tells Noah, he says in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 4, For seven days I will cause to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I made will destroy. And, and so God, Noah does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. All right. Um, in chapter 10, God begins to execute this judgment. And um, verse 12, and the rain, wait a minute, 7, 12. And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And y'all know that number 40 is testing. Moses was up in the mountain 40 days. Jesus was tested for 40 days. So in the selfsame day, verse 13, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Noah and his wives, um, went into this ark and took all the animals and things with them. Um, looking down to verse 23, and every living substance was destroyed, which is upon the face of the uh, earth, going down to 24, and the waters prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. So even though it rained that much, the water stayed on the earth for that long. I mean, God made sure everything. Ain't nobody going to come up from a high tree like, oh, you ain't got me. No, I, I hear it. No, he, he got you. He got you. He got you, your ants, your roaches. He got the, 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 he got Mickey Mouse. And he got all of them. <laughs> clean the house, okay? So for 150 days, almost six months, that the water just stayed on the earth, just stayed there. So Noah and his family and all these animals are just kind of in the ark waiting during that time. I can't even imagine the smell. There had to be a special anointing. I'm telling you. There had to be an anointing to help you deal with them sunks, them snakes, them spiders. Oh, I know it was angels on that boat. Going to the back. How, how in the world? But God did it. We don't know. We'll find out when we get on the other side. I'm going to sit down with Noah's like, excuse me. How did y'all do that? Tell me about it. So, moving on to chapter 8. Well, we're doing really good. And so God remembers Noah and, and, and uh, the waters, you know, passed and what have you. Um, gradually. It was a gradual uh, desisting of the waters, okay? And so in verse 6, I'm in chapter 8, verse 6, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days, Noah opened up the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven, went to and fro, and um, until the waters were dried up on earth. In verse 8, he sent a dove to see if the waters were abated from the face of the earth. The dove found no rest, and she came back. Isn't that something how God's word goes forth? And when... <laughs> God will call that dove back. Like, you know, I'm taking my Holy Ghost from you because you're grieving. God will take his Holy Spirit from you. That dove could not find rest and went back. 
That's prophetic imprint right there. You need to hold on to that word. The dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him in the ark. Okay? So, um, verse 10, he said, another week, he sent the dove out again. The dove came into the evening, and in her mouth had an olive oil leaf plucked out, so no one knew it was time. The Holy Spirit will let you know when it's time to get off the ark. All right? And so he stayed yet another seven days, sent the dove out again. The dove didn't come back. And then so it goes on now to say, uh, let's see, verse 16, the wives, the family gets off the ark. Uh, verse 18, knowing his family, everybody gets off the ark. And Noah builds an altar, verse 20, and took every clean beast, took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. Verse 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. The Lord said in his heart, I will not again, this is what we talked about in the opening, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more any living thing as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, shall not cease. And so God begins to say in his heart, you know what, I'll never flood this, I'll never do that again. Okay? Because Noah's worship pleased him so much that God said, you know what, for the sake of the whole earth, I won't do this again. Isn't that something? That your worship can so please God that God said, you know what, I, I won't allow this thing to happen in the family no more ever again. Chapter 9. God blessed Noah, his son, said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Now, that's the same word that God gave in the very beginning, replenish. When God tells you to replenish something, it means something was already there. In other words, he'll say, stock it up. But when he says replenish, that means that it was something already there, and he wants you to re, 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 revisit that. And so he goes in um, and does that. Um, God establishes a, a covenant excuse me, with Noah, and... Uh, Verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall any flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. God had it in his mind. Next time I do it by fire, but I won't do it by water. <laughs> All right. In verse 13, I set my bow in the cloud. This is where we get the rainbow from. It shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass that when I bring a cloud over the earth, the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And that's when I remember my covenant between you and every living creature, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. All right? Now, let's move on now, because here comes some mess. Here comes some mess. You've been on the boat all this long time, surrounded by all types of animals, and then you've got the nerve to act a fool. Here is what happens. Verse 20. We're in chapter 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a husband, man. He planted a vineyard. Noah drank Talking to me? Oh. Noah drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment because there's a lot of speculation around there. Okay? Noah did not drink to get drunk. In my own mind, I think Noah was just so happy. I'd be off that boat. So I was like, man, this thing's good to me. <laughs> So it wasn't, you know, because come on, the Bible says he's a righteous, upright man. Why would God in his foresight bring his righteous, upright man, deliver him to be a drunk? So I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. So there had to be an innocence there that Noah just drank and drank and drank and drank. And he drank so much till he became drunk. Now, when Noah became drunk, I mean, and, you know, for those of us who have had that experience, you do stuff. You take off your clothes. You, you just you do stuff. And we're going to leave it just like that. You know, so, so I'm told. And so, <laughs> so, so, and so here it is. Noah is passed out. This man drank so much grape juice. Okay? Bro, no 
he was just drinking. He was glad to be able to just chug a look, a look. And so he's, he's talking to Ham Cain and saw the father, nakedness of his father. He stretched out in his tent, passed out. Okay, he ain't thinking about, you know, he's just out. He don't know how he looked when he's passed out. And so with his son, well, it apparently it was, well, let's see. It says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw, the one of his sons, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. And that was his downfall. When you see somebody in a situation, you've got to be careful how you handle that. Okay? His, what he should have done is say, hey, don't nobody go in here. Man, dad is torn up. You know what I'm saying? You don't even want to see that right now. You know, that's the way you cover. The Bible said love covers a multitude of sins, right? That's how you cover somebody. You don't, hey, that's just not right here. He covered him. He said, you know, you know, that's a, a son. When we talk about sonship, we'll cover the father. Hey, you know what? They're having a bad day. She didn't mean to say that like that. I know her spirit. Don't, don't act like that. You know, you know how Jennifer did when she thought I walked off Facebook? <laughs> that's what I said. Of the sons of Noah, and it goes down to the sons of Jacob. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. 
chapter 10, verse 2. And, and like I said, I did a study of this, of, of this years ago. But the sons of Japheth, this is where you get the Germans from. Okay? Gomer represents Germany, uh, Magog, and these are the ones you're going to see in the, the, um, uh, the um, Battle of Armageddon. You're going to see these, these key players show up again. That's way later on in Ezekiel. The sons of um, Tubal, that's Turkey. You know, the Middle Eastern kind of people. All right? So uh, then it goes down to the sons of Ham in chapter 6. The sons of Ham, and I don't know if y'all gonna like me when I get to a certain point, but I got to tell it like it is. Okay? Um, the sons of Ham, I forget which people those were. I don't know if those were the Asians or not. I'm not sure. But anyway, it, it was that culture of people. And from that came Nimrod, the mighty hunter, all right? He's, he's the one that built Babel, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the sons of Sham, all right? The sons of Sham were, uh, let me skip down. Oh, I wish I could remember. Anyway, so these are the sons of Sham, verse 31, after their families, their tongues, lands, and nations. These are the families of Noah. Now, let's look at chapter 11. And here's where you found, uh, uh, is this Nimrod with himself, trying to find a way to get to heaven. <laughs> so the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. So before that was Spanish or Russian or any other, everybody was speaking one language. It came to pass, somebody had a bright idea. <laughs> and they said, let's go and make brick and burn them thoroughly. And, and, and so they said, let's build a city and a tower that it may reach unto heaven. And he said, here's another form of idolatry where people are trying to find their way to God their own way. And so he said, um, let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the earth. And so God began to speak judgment. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. And the Lord said, behold, the people are one. They all have one language. And now this is what they want to do. Because when you got one mind to do something good or bad, you're going to do it. And so the Lord says, uh, he said, I'm going to go down and send confusion. And so this is where you find the, the different languages coming into play in Genesis chapter 11. And he called it Babel, which meant confusion, because God there confounded the nations um, of the earth. Um, and this is a human government here. I'm not going to get into that. Let's look at, we're in chapter 11, verse 26. This is now where we get into Abraham's generation. Abraham's father was named Terah. He, lived, he was 70 years old when he had Abel, Abel I should say. Uh, and let's move on past that. Now we're into chapter 12. Well, this is, we got through this quick. And let me stop here. Anybody have any questions? I know we're moving through it kind of quick. But anybody have any questions or do you understand something? you have any comments? Let me just give you five minutes to do that, and then we'll get into chapter 12. Barry? Really? Anybody else have any questions or comments? <laughs> Anybody have any questions or comments before we roll on? Is this making sense to anybody? Okay. All right. So now we're in chapter 12. The Lord says to Abram, get out of your country. Most of us know the story. Get away from your kindred because it's something I want to show you. There's some things that I want to do for you. And we know that we, many of us, are transplants. How many native Charlotteans do we have? Been born and raised, except for my children. Put your hand down. We know y'all been here. <laughs> so we're all transplants? Wow. Okay. And so the Lord is telling Abraham, this, Abraham, I want to do something for you. You've got to get away from your father's house, and I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Isn't it something that God has to remove you sometimes from family in order to do that for you? Yes. My God, he, he had to move him away from his dad and his family and all that to do this great thing in his life. 
And so verse 3, which is where, this is what we use over our uh, miracle chest. I will bless them that bless you. I will curse, um, and curse them that curse you. And, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We speak that over the, um, the miracle chest. And so Abram departed, as the Lord had told him. Abraham was about 75 years at the time. And the Lord appeared to Abram and told him, unto your seed I will give this land. Of course, God has prophesied because he has no children at this particular time. All right? And so let's move on past that. Um, there was a famine in Egypt, verse 10, chapter 12, verse 10. Um, and here's the situation. I think I was talking about this on the line the other night. It was a famine. So uh, Egypt in Egypt, Abraham, Abram and Sarah went down to live there. And so apparently Sarah was a knockout. She was a beautiful girl. And so Abram said, look here, girl. You know you're real pretty. You don't mess around and get me killed if you tell folks I'm your husband. So tell me brothers and sisters. Now, they probably were because, you know, during that time they had a whole lot of, you know, cousin stuff going on. So uh, they really were related somehow. But they was, huh? Right, right. So, I mean, it, it was like a, a a deceitful truth. You know what I'm saying? It was true, but then, you know, they were still married. And so anyway, Abraham, he tells Sarah, he said, you are, in verse 11, he said, I know you are a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, when we pass by Egypt and they see you, he said, um, and, and they said, this is what, they'll kill me. So tell them I'm you my sister. And so in verse 14, it comes to pass, they in Egypt, in Egypt and they, they see that she's a very beautiful woman. And the Pharaoh commands her before, um, the princess commands her before Pharaoh. And so they entreated Abraham well for his sake, for her sake, and they gave him all of this stuff. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house because of Sarah. And so Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And he said, um, he said, why did you say she's your sister? And so Pharaoh said, um, send him away and, and his wife and all he had. But the thing about it was God even allowed that because there was some wealth that God wanted to transfer to Abraham. So there's some folks that God will allow, allow to do you wrong. Because when God releases you from the situation, it's something you need to walk away with. So this was actually a setup. There was some wealth. Because God had already promised Abraham, Abraham some wealth. And so he allowed the situation so that some trials that God will allow in your life just so that you can walk away with some stuff. Okay? When he brought Israel out of Egypt, they walked away with some stuff. So even in this... Abram and Sarah were able to walk away from the situation with some stuff. So, look at chapter 13. Abraham went up out of Egypt. He and his wife had everything they had, including Lot, bless his heart. And Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, and in gold. Now, oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. It's something like having a real godly, beautiful woman that God will just, Lord, people just give you stuff. Amen. <laughs> I wish the boss would be here. <laughs> something. You know, the Bible does say that when a man finds a wife, he obtains favor. He finds a good thing to obtain favor. Right. So it really is a favor that comes to men that find a godly wife. So y'all single women, boy, y'all just, y'all are holding on to some favor. Somebody better catch that. You're like, you better, hey, you better, all right? God's trying to bless you up in here. You better get yourself together, bro. All right. So, so there was this favor that came, that wealth came to Abraham and it never dawned on me until just now. That wealth came to Abraham because of Sarah. Isn't that something? All right, I'm going to pass that. So he, he, he's, he's wealthy and all of this stuff. And so here comes the canal with, um, with him and, and, and Lot. And then I'm gonna, we're going to stop there and we'll pick up on 14 to wherever next week. All right, so here comes the contention between Abram and Lot, verse 5, chapter 13, verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for the substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And here was the strife. Between the herdman of Abram and the herdman of Lot. Alright? And so Abram said, you know what? And it takes a father to say, you know what? 
kiss and say goodbye. You know what I'm saying? You know, it, it, this is too much. There's a whole lot of land available to us. There's no need for us to fight. You pick what you want and you go that way, and then I'll go, I'll take the other way. Now, righteously, Abraham had every right to say, you know what, pack your little mules and camels, and you call on back wherever you came from. He had every right, but he was a godly and he was a righteous man. And so sometimes, even in our life, we'll feel like you're taken down. Sometimes you feel like you have to dumb down, you know? Sometimes you have to act like you don't really know. But you have to trust God. And it'll look like you get the short end of the stick sometimes. Like, man, he done took the car. He done took the big TV. Let him take it. Take the, you want anything else, honey? I'm just saying. Take it. Jesus said, you say on one side, you want the other cheek? Now, I ain't there. I, I'm, I'm, God is still growing me. And, hey, I'm, I'm being delivered. Well, don't, don't hit me. Please don't hit me. <laughs> Please don't. I declare don't let the devil do that. <laughs> but Jesus said, he said, if, if, they, if they take your coat, offer them your hat too. Because what, he's, what his point is that you, if you think it's being stolen from you, I have so much more to replace, to, to give that back. And I've had people take things from me in life. You know? And some of us have had people take things. You had cars, repossessed home. And, and God said, you know what? Don't cry over that. I can give you something better than that. It was too much for you anyway. So God, in his wisdom, you never be with, you, you never, even though I may look like you're getting short in a stick, you still want to come out on top. Somehow. Somehow you come out on top. And so here it was with Abram. Lot took the greenest, prettiest land, and Lot was like, yeah, I'm going to leave you over here in this mud. You know, we talked about the one who had no grass. You just, I'm going to leave you over here. I'm going to take the house, and you stay over here in this apartment. But God had a plan. Okay? And, and so, uh, 1310, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere. Um, this was before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Lot chose the plain of Jordan, and he journeyed east and separated. They separated one from another. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. Now, remember, this was a cursed land. Cursed people. Okay? Um, so he lived there and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So here was Lot is thinking he's getting away with something. He's thinking he done outsmarted Abram. He's got it going on. And he don't even know. You went right straight to the devil's den. And that's how folks do sometimes. Let him go. Oh, I, 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 I feel like I need. Go ahead. Well, it is better for me. Go ahead. Okay? I'll stay here and pray for you. Because you're going to need it. All right? And so here's what happened. The Lord said to Abram after Lot was separated from him. He said, Look, lift up your eyes. And look from the place, I'm in verse 14, 13, 14. I'm going to close out and we'll answer questions what have you. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward. In other words, God said, I want you to look around. Look to the north, look to the south, to the east and the west. He said, everything you see, I'm going to give it to you. Now, isn't that something after somebody, you folks think they done ripped you off. And God said, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll allow that thing to happen. Because what I want to give you, I couldn't give it to you with them. I could not do that in your life with that thing attached to you. So quit crying. Let them have the green grass. Look around you and see. I'm giving you everything you see. If you can see it, you can have it. I told Sheila today, if you can see it, you can have it. And so he said, for all the land which you see, to you will I give it and to your seed forever. And I will make, and if the Lord begins to prophesy his destiny, I'm going to make your seed as, in, as dust of the earth. No man can number them. He said, arise, walk through this land. He said, walk all around it because I'm getting ready to give it to you. And so Abraham removed his tent 
and, 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 and built an altar there unto the Lord. And I'm going to stop right there. So, um, there are some separations that God will allow for you, for your destiny's sake. He will allow it for your destiny's sake. And so you can imagine Lot with his happy-go-lucky self. He's taking all the way to Sodom. They don't even know. He's going to a place surrounded by demons and devils. He don't even know he's about to lose his wife. He don't even know his own daughters are going to molest him. But he went to bring the grass. I'm going to stop right there. Questions? Comments? You can go ahead and say questions. Did I learn Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.